Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray together, Almighty God. To you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to remain standing for our song of praise. with you. Let us pray. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that we may receive what we ask. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the same Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. I invite you to be seated for the reading of God's Word. A reading from the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning at the 31st verse. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. God, our Father, we have just heard from you as you speak to us in your word. We ask now by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us in your word proclaimed, and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts inclined to receive and to respond with faith and obedience. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In seminary, I was told that you should never use Greek or Latin phrases in your sermon because they don't really add anything to the substance of what you're saying and they make you sound pretentious. And now, I admit that advice makes good sense. And I do, I try to follow it, but sometimes I just can't help myself. And this morning is one of those times. This morning, I'd like to begin my sermon by quoting one of the most famous lines from the Latin poet Virgil. Omnia vincit amor. Love conquers all. I like that line, personally. Probably because, as those who know me well would readily confirm, I am something of a romantic. Just ask my wife. She knows how much of a sucker I am for a good romance. She could tell you just how many times I'm the one who's insisting that we watch Emma or Pride and Prejudice just one more time when we sit down to watch a movie. And Rachel is not the only one who's noticed. Just this past week, Father Brian and I were having a conversation, and I was thinking about this sermon, and I mentioned the fact that I thought I was a bit of a romantic. And he said, oh, really? But not like that. Not like he was genuinely surprised. It was more like, oh, really? Like I was just telling him the most obvious thing in the world. 
So yeah, I'll own it. I'm a bit of a romantic. And maybe that's why I like that line from Virgil. After all, that's the moral of all the great love stories, isn't it? That love can overcome any obstacle, any barrier. That there's nothing, not wealth or poverty, not embarrassing or disapproving relatives, not anger or jealousy or pride. Nothing in the end will be able to withstand the strength and determination of love. That despite all odds, love conquers all. But you have to ask, is that really true? Does it actually reflect our experience of the world? Not really. Not if we're honest with ourselves. Sure, it might feel good to, you know, put a bumper sticker on your car that says love wins. Just like it felt good in the 60s to hold up posters that said make love, not war. And, you know, sing along with the Beatles about how all you need is love. But we all know the truth, don't we? That those are just simple, simplistic, romantic cliches. That's not how life really works. In real life, love doesn't conquer all. Sometimes love fades. Sometimes the people you love betray or abandon you. Sometimes you're the problem. You're the one who disappoints or who hurts or who fails those that you love. Whatever the reason, it seems that in the real world, love often disappoints. And maybe that's why so many of our great love stories end right when the lovers finally get together. You know, we get one last glimpse of them locked in an embrace or standing at an altar or, you know, holding hands and just staring off into the sky. And then the, the camera pulls back and the screen fades because we're afraid that the longer we keep telling the story, the more likely it is that their love won't actually succeed. Because deep down, we all know it's just a fairy tale and too good to be true. And in the real world, love doesn't always win. But what if Virgil was right? What if, in the end, love really does conquer all? What if the true story of our lives is actually a story of unconquerable, unfailing, victorious love? I say what if, but there's really no reason to make this hypothetical. Because the Apostle Paul tells us in our reading from Romans this morning, this is precisely what he says, that the story of our lives is in fact a love story of the highest order. And in this story, love really does conquer all. Let me explain what I mean. If you have your Bibles, or if you want to use the Pew Bible, uh, actually, those are not available, I don't think. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And notice the question that Paul asks in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? What's Paul asking here? What does he mean by these things? You might assume that he means whatever he just said in the previous couple, you know, the last couple of verses right before he asked the question. And there's some truth to that. But most scholars who study this letter agree that when Paul uses this phrase, these things, he's not just referring to what he immediately said right before he asked the question. He's actually referring to the whole story of what God has done in Jesus Christ. This is the story that he has been summarizing and explaining for the whole book of Romans so far, since the very first chapter. And this story that Paul has been telling is, well, in a word, a love story. Not a simplistic or naive or cliche love story that's just all sunshine and springtime but a story about a love that has overcome every barrier, betrayal, infidelity, arrogance, contempt, anger, even death. 
This is a love that has faced down every possible enemy and has yet prevailed. Now, maybe that's not how you've tended to think about the letter of Romans, if you've read it before. But it's true. In the first several chapters, Paul reminds us about how the God of the universe created a people, created us out of pure love. And he also reminds us how we rejected and betrayed that love, how we spit in the face of the one who loved us, how we turned our attention and our affections elsewhere, anywhere really, but to the one who loved us. And if that wasn't bad enough, Paul says we became so blind, so callous to this love that we actually turned into its enemies, that we became prisoners of sin, addicts to the hollow and the loveless lives, lives that we had created for ourselves. Like I said, this is not some happy-go-lucky rom-com. It gets pretty bleak. But that's not what Paul focuses on in his discussion of this story. Paul is less interested in our failures than he is in how God has overcome them in victory through the death and resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ and in how God has actually restored us to love through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's what he means in verse 31 when he talks about these things. What shall we say to these things? And he continues that thought in the next verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? Of course, the if there, if God is for us, that if is only hypothetical. Because the whole point of everything that Paul has been saying up until this point in Romans is precisely to affirm that God is indeed for us. And that phrase, God is for us, it's just, it's just three words in Greek. Three simple little words. But taken together, those three words comprise what is probably the simplest and clearest summary of the gospel that you can find. And for Paul, they announce what is the defining truth of our lives. You see, friends and loved ones may disappoint us and hurt us. And our own bad habits and foolish choices may sabotage us. And sometimes it might even feel like society itself is turning against us. But God, God is for us. And for Paul, that's all that matters. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? If you haven't picked up on it, that's meant to be a rhetorical question. The correct answer is no one. And this isn't the only rhetorical question Paul asks. If you look at the next couple of verses, he asks four more similar questions. Will God not graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? And finally, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The passion that he has in these words as he writes is unmistakable. I like how the English theologian John Stott puts it. He says that Paul hurls these questions into space in a spirit of bold defiance, challenging anybody and everybody in heaven, earth, or hell to answer them and to deny the truth which they contain. But if they're meant to be rhetorical, why ask these questions in the first place? And why these questions? Have you ever wondered that? I wonder if the reason that Paul poses these particular questions to us is that he knows that these are the questions that continue to haunt us, even those of us who know and believe the gospel. You ever ask yourself these questions? I'll be the first to admit that I do. Maybe not verbally or explicitly like this, but I continue to struggle with them. Will God really give me all good things? 
It's easy to say, but it's kind of hard to believe sometimes, especially when it seems like I'm being denied the good things that other people around me are enjoying. Or when it seems like the things I value most, like the companionship of friends or the well-being of those that I love are being taken away. And what about the next couple questions? Who shall bring a charge against me? Who is to condemn me? Well, that one seems all too easy to answer. My own conscience condemns me. When I read it, God's word condemns me. And I know enough about the devil to be pretty sure that he condemns me as well. And then there's that last question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I know this is meant to be just rhetorical, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't still bother me sometimes. What if something has separated me from that love? What if I've separated myself somehow, put myself beyond its reaches? So maybe that's why Paul raises these questions because he knows that we continue to ask them. And that's why it's so critical for us to continue to read. And as the prayer in our prayer book says, to read and to learn and to mark and to inwardly digest what Paul is saying here in Romans and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through it. Not just because we need to be reminded of the questions that we're already asking, but because we need to hear the unequivocal answer that Paul gives to them. Do you worry about the forces that seem to be against you in your life? Then remember, God is for you. Do you ask whether God will give you all good things? Then remember what he has already given you, as Paul says. He has not spared even his own son. Does your conscience condemn you? Are you burdened with shame or guilt? Then remember that God is the one who has declared you to be in the right. And Jesus himself lives even now as your advocate. If you are in Christ, then the story of your life is the story of how God has claimed you in love. You have nothing to fear. Now, maybe you're still not convinced. Maybe all I've convinced you of so far is that the Apostle Paul is just as naively and absurdly romantic as I am. But if that's what you're thinking, then you're wrong. Paul is not naive. He's not just trying to put a positive spin on things and, you know, throw out some happy thoughts that we can plaster on coffee mugs later. Paul is intimately aware of the pain and suffering that so often accompany our lives. And so is his audience. Remember, he's writing these words to a bunch of Christians who are living in first century Rome. And don't let the Hollywood portrayals of ancient Rome fool you. Life in first century Rome wasn't about hanging out in sun-soaked villas and visiting Roman baths and banquets. Life in Rome was hard. Historians estimate that the population density of ancient Rome was about 200 people per acre. If you want to have some idea of how many people that is, you can compare it in your mind to modern-day Bombay or Calcutta, which are about 185 people per acre and 130 people per acre, respectively. In other words, most Roman people didn't live in large, beautiful villas, but in tiny, cramped tenement housing with terrible sanitation. Entire families were often packed together into single rooms. Most of the people who received Paul's letter for the first time lived in conditions of urban poverty. And they were plagued by regular waves of infectious diseases and occasional epidemics. The expected lifespan when you were born in ancient Rome, the expected lifespan was 30 years old. And if you did make it into adulthood and actually had children, then you were very likely to experience the pain and grief of burying your own children. So 
Paul is not speaking hypothetically in verse 35 when he talks about tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and so on. Or when in the next verse he quotes Psalm 44 and he describes the people of God as a people who suffer and are even led to their death like sheep led to slaughter. Paul knows what it is like to suffer. He knows what life in ancient Rome was like. And he himself experienced even worse. Imprisonment, beatings, mob violence, betrayal, near starvation. Paul knows this. And he knows how easily suffering can persuade us that we have been abandoned by God. Or maybe that God's love has failed. And yet... He remains insistent. God's love has not failed. And because of that love, no matter what we may face, our story is one of victory. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And there is nothing, he says, nothing, neither life nor death, not wicked and corrupt rulers, not spiritual powers. There is nothing in heaven or on earth, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is a word that we need to hear today. For the past four months or so, our lives have been turned upside down. And so much of what we used to rely on to give hope and meaning to our lives, stable jobs, the company of friends, our regular life together here as a church. So much of this seems to have been taken away from us. And these masks that we are now required to wear every time we go out are a daily reminder of the frailty of our bodies. Even the air itself these days seems to be conspiring against us. And that's, that's just life in a pandemic. That's nothing to say of the ongoing racial and political divisions that have turned our national life into a boiling cauldron of mutual contempt or the individual heartache and fears that we're facing in our own personal lives. It's easy in times like this to lose hope and to start to think that maybe love won't have the last word after all. That maybe the story of our lives is just not like those romantic fairy tales we so adore. But that is false. Whether we recognize it or not, we have been caught up in the greatest love story there is. The story of a love that has overcome every failure. Nothing we do can separate us from the love of Christ. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? We have nothing to fear. As Virgil said, omnia vincit amor. Love conquers all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand. Let us confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. 
He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please kneel as you are able. Let us pray. In peace we pray to you, Lord God. For all people in their daily life and work, for our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone. For this community, the nation, and the world. For all who work for justice, freedom, and peace for the just and proper use of your creation, for the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression, for all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble, for those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy, for the peace and unity of the Church of God, for all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth. For Foley, our Archbishop, Todd, our Bishop, Paul, our Dean and Rector, and for all our clergy and lay leaders, for all who serve God in his church, hear us, Lord, for your mercy is great. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins. Confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to stand. The peace of the Lord be always with you. I invite you to greet each other with a wave of God's love. I invite you to be seated for a few short announcements. Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. My name is Father John. Uh, if you are a visitor with us today, we'd love to have the chance to meet you. Uh, just stop by either of the desks in the narthex after the service. Uh, we have a gift that we'd love to share with you and uh, introduce ourselves. On the inside back cover of your bulletin this morning, you can read about the events and activities happening in the church right now, the largest of which is our Kids in Need Backpack Drive. This is the first of three Sundays that we are collecting backpacks, and you may recognize this as one of our three annual outreach programs for the needy in our community. We hope this year to collect more than 500 backpacks and school supplies for uh, families in need. And right now, in these times of economic hardship, 
um, uh, many are in great need. So I would invite you and ask you to participate in this program. You can do so either by bringing a backpack either of the next two Sunday mornings. There are boxes in the narthex where you can leave those backpacks as you come in, or you can make a donation online. Information, again, is in, uh, in your bulletin. If you're celebrating a birthday this today or this coming week, or possibly if you've missed your birthday blessing over the past few months, I'd invite you to stand now so we can say a prayer of blessing for you. All right. Okay. And let's pray together. Watch over your children, O Lord, as their days increase. Bless and guide them wherever they may be. Strengthen them when they stand. Comfort them when discouraged or sorrowful. Raise them up if they fall. And in their hearts, may your peace, which passes understanding, abide all the days of their lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Happy birthday. You may be seated. Likewise, if you are celebrating a wedding anniversary today or in the coming week, or again, if you've missed that blessing in the past few months, we'd invite you to stand now so we can pray prayer blessing for you. All right, we have two here. Anybody else? Okay. If you'll turn towards each other and hold right hands. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, bless, preserve, and keep you. The Lord mercifully look upon you and fill you with all spiritual benediction and grace that you may faithfully live together in this life and in the age to come have life everlasting. Amen. You may pull your mask down and kiss your bride and then put them right back. So if you have not participated in communion with us over the past few months, I wanted to just share with you a few items real quickly. In a moment, you're going to notice that our clergy and lay servers are going to disappear behind this wall. They're back there freshly sanitizing their hands, um, putting on masks so that they can be prepared to serve you. When it's time for you to come forward, you'll be directed forward by an usher to one of four stations. You can leave your offering if you brought it with you here in the basket, or again, you can always give your offering online if you'd prefer. When you come forward, we ask that you receive the bread with your hands open rather than grabbing like this, um, and then you can move to a wine station where you can receive the wine by the bottom of the cup as it is handed to you by the top of the cup. Uh, if you would like to come forward but not receive communion, we'd still love to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Um, now, as we prepare our table for communion, uh, since love conquers all, I'd invite you to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God. Please stand as we sing our preparatory hymn.
with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, our duty and our joy, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. O Jesus Christ, our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. you to kneel as we continue. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself, and when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all, that by his suffering and death we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory, that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, and we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ, and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom, where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. 
Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Come, beloved, all is ready.
Now let us pray together our post-communion prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Now, let us sing together as we go out into the world our closing hymn, Tell Out My Soul. into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.